0: Hi listeners, this is Jacko's Wetslute. Before this episode begins, I want to tell you about the survey that NK News is running to get your feedback and opinions about the podcast. If you're on our mailing list, you will have received an email asking you to answer a few short questions. Your responses will help us make a better podcast next year and beyond. So please take the time to fill the survey out. One lucky person will be chosen to receive a free NK News subscription for a year. Okay, on with this week's episode. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm your host, Jacko's Wetsuit, and today it is Wednesday, December 14th, 2022, and I'm joined here in the studio by Dr. David Tizard to talk about some good and not so good holiday reading about North Korea. But first, please leave a review about this episode on iTunes or whatever platform you use, and please share this podcast with colleagues and friends and even enemies, especially frenemies. And what's more, like and subscribe. Secondly, check out NK News and consider buying a subscription for a year. It's more affordable than you think. In fact, if you sign up for the annual plan, it's less than a dollar a day, and that helps to fund the excellent journalism that my colleagues put out every day. Thirdly, follow NKNews.org on Twitter. Now, to introduce my guest today, David A. Tezat has a PhD in Korean Studies and lectures at Seoul Women's University and Hanyang University. He's a social and cultural commentator who has lived in Korea for nearly two decades, He's also the host of the Career Deconstructed podcast, which you can find on YouTube and other platforms, I believe. Right, David? Absolutely. You can find him on Twitter at HESP365. Welcome on the show, David Tizard.
1: A pleasure to be here, Jacko. And not only great to be on the show, but fantastic to see you in person. I'm glad we're doing this face-to-face. Not everybody might appreciate seeing you face-to-face, but I do. It's it's, it's wonderful to be here, mate.
0: i got a good face for podcasts, my wife <laughs> likes to remind me from time to time. And this is actually your second time on the show. You've been on before, but that last time we did it via Zoom, Yes. Uh, and so now we're doing it in person. But of course, we, we have been in studio in person before, just not this studio. We've done TBS eFM multiple times, haven't we?
1: We cross paths professionally, personally, in all sorts of avenues, Jacko. And uh, I I must say, it's it's always good fun.
0: Thank you very much. I enjoy it, too. Now, this year, you've reviewed no less than eight books for NK News. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to talk about your top three and bottom one. But first, I wonder if you could describe for me the scene of books released about North Korea in the last year or two.
1: There's so many books coming out. Is there a scene? Because I think there's an academic scene. Mm -hmm. I think there's a mainstream kind of scene that you're going to find a book at an airport or a bookstore. I think there's also a self-publishing scene. There's, There's ones in which people are doing it themselves and getting out there. And also if you look at I'm I'm a, I'm a stickler for print. I need to read books. I need to hold them in my hands. But yep. I I also think there's a scene, a growing scene of video essays and multimedia. You guys hear the work that you do. Yep. You know that more than anyone else. But there's also a growing scene that's not print and, and comes out in all other ways. So there is a scene. Um, there are multiple scenes. And I would suggest that it's probably getting better. You sometimes have to be careful what you pick up, but mm. the amount of content coming out, Korea, you know this better than anyone. But it's not this mysterious, unknown, enigmatic, what puzzle insider conundrum type thing. A lot is known about it. And so it's the challenge I think, Jacko, is for people to communicate what they know about the country, the yep. people, the politics, the economy, the culture in an accessible way.
0: Now, back in, let's say, around the year 2000, just to pick an arbitrary point, it was probably possible to have as a goal basically reading every published work about North Korea, at least in the English language. Uh, It does seem to me that the pace of publishing about North Korea has picked up. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. I I think there's been a great fascination with it. And I see this most visibly amongst young students. And I teach a lot of students from all over the world. And they have this fascination with North Korea, and it's almost as if Jacko, they have this desire to solve the problem. You know, they think if they study it, they're gonna they're gonna find that thing that everyone has missed so far. And I think that doesn't just apply to young people. I think that applies to even grizzly seasoned veterans such as myself or other people around us that will say. If we write and if we learn and if we get into North Korea, we might just change something. We might just change the world. This book might just move the needle one way. I think there's something about that with North Korea. I'm not particularly saying that's the best approach, and I don't think that is the way forward. I think it's more important that we just try to understand and empathize. But I think there is this thing going on where people believe that they might just make a difference by working on North Korea. Do you have a sense of that at all?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, no, I, I do think that. Uh, well, but I, I think that it's probably the there's a sense a sense in everyone who writes a book that uh, my book will will change the world somehow. You know, <laughs> this is why I have no intention of writing a book because I, I realize that there's no way that I'm going to make an impact in the, in that in that sense. I'm not going to change anything about any country by writing a book about it. But I'm curious to know um, since you teach uh, young people yeah. and you said that young people are interested in North Korea, I haven't found a lot of uh, young South
1: Koreans who are in North Korea,
0: would you say that that, that that level of interest is high in South Korea as much as it is in other countries or is the interest mostly outside Korea?
1: No, it's it's mostly outside of Korea because they often come having only seen news reports of missiles mm. and such forth. And so just a little bit of explanation of songbun systems or or narratives and history and culture. And immediately they find this cognitive dissonance. And then I, David, or professor, this is not what I was taught or this is not what I've seen before. And so I think... That desire to learn more about it is them questioning themselves and questioning narratives. Just to answer your question about young people from South Korea, which also I'm encountering hundreds every year, they will sometimes one or two of them will say, my grandfather is from North Korea. Mm. my But they won't continue any further than Mm. that information. And I believe it's because probably they don't know any more than that. Now, I was recently speaking with a professor of history, Henry M., who's a well-renowned scholar on Korean history, and he makes this observation, Jacko, that in South Korea, tales about the Korean War, tales about South Korea and North Korea, when, when those people were together, those tales don't often get told at dinner tables. Those stories don't get passed down through generations. And so young people today, they don't have that, that storytelling. They don't have that, well, what did you do during the Korean War? Where were you? What happened to our grandfather? What happened to our grandmother? So I think for the for the younger South Koreans, of course, not all of them. This is uh, avoiding crash generalizations. It is sabasa, person by person. But I think there is this idea amongst the young people in South Korea that you don't talk about it. And I think that's the etiquette that might run through many families.
0: How uh, did you choose the eight books that you reviewed this year?
1: Uh, there was no set way to encounter them. Uh, sometimes the wonderful team at NK News, it might be Chad, mm-hmm. or some, someone else would send me a book and say, David, read this. Other times I would just be casually scrolling through Twitter, mm-hmm. like with Bradley Hope's book, and I would yeah. see people talking about it, and I would say, hey, and thanks to your fabulous institute, I now have a way of being able to say, I review books. Would you? Could I possibly get a copy? Yeah. And so many people have been gracious enough to all across the world to, to send me these books overseas. Mm. So there's no there's no one way. But what, we, what I have tried to do is not select books that align with a particular ideology or align with a particular approach. I think I've gone from mainstream and academia and left and right and old and young, but they've all been contemporary. They've got to be contemporary and they've got to interest me in some way. Would you say you're a fast reader? Absolutely. I recently posted on Twitter that, and it's blown up my notifications, that I don't have a voice inside my head. Uh, The inside of my head is quiet apart from a bit of tinnitus from a lot of music. So it's like nothing else, no inner monologue. And that's blown up my notifications with half the people calling me an NPC, like a non-playable character, like a a non-person. The other half going, wow, I envy that. Nevertheless, that's by the by I believe that enables me to read fast. And, and I do read a lot. I think that's why perhaps Chad reached out to me and said, do you want to review books? Because mm-hmm. I do genuinely read. That's all I do. I, I carry books around with me. If I get a spare five minutes, I read.
0: Well, uh, so I confess I don't read anywhere near as fast or as much as you do. So you have the advantage, of me because I haven't read any of these books in their entirety. Uh, let's begin with the book that you were most critical of, uh, that we rank at the bottom of the eight that you reviewed this year, and that is, uh, the title is a long one, A Land of Prison Camps, Starving Slaves, and Nuclear Bombs, question mark, published this year by Felix Apt. Well, why would you rank this at the bottom of the eight that you reviewed?
1: I would rank. And this was the first ever review I did. And and this was given to me. And, and I must confess that I didn't really know much about this guy. I didn't even know how to pronounce this gentleman's surname. Yeah. Uh, Felix Abt, you said. And I believe amongst some communities, he might be quite well known. Mm. Now, this was a self-published book that was sent to me as a, as a PDF file. I, right. I've since seen it being shared. And I've put this at the bottom. First of all, It doesn't compare to some of the other books that I've read in terms of the presentation. It's not something you buy in a bookstore. It's like a self-published PDF. Mm. And it it looks a little bit like a student project. Ah. Now, I'm not that just going to base it on aesthetics, because if the content was fire, you know, if the content was blowing me away, then I wouldn't mind. But. If you're really considering putting this next to some of the other books that I've read, first of all, the presentation, the work that's gone into it, it's just not there, and that's before you even get to the content. Which I found, you know, everybody has different views on North Korea, and I, I don't profess to have one view on North Korea. It, it it changes, and I think North Korea sometimes is a bit like a Roshars test. It tells you more about yourself than the country how you perceive it. But this book, in terms of inaccuracies. In terms of the way it presented it, I just didn't find it absolutely correct.
0: Now, this, this author, uh, Felix Apt, has something that most others do not, and that is several years of actually living and working and doing business inside North Korea. Why do you not rate him as a serious analyst or observer of North Korea, having the experience that he has?
1: No, and I was I was really sure to point out in my article that uh, working in the country, is the CEO of Pyongsu Pharmaceuticals. And he did that for, and, until 2009. Mm-hmm. So it's not as contemporary as the time that he was writing about. Right. Was kid. But nevertheless, he does have these experiences, more experiences in the country than me, perhaps even than, than you, Jacko. I'm not quite sure yep, yep. how the years would work yep. out. But he does have this. Now, one of the reasons that I was a little bit critical while still acknowledging uh, the gentleman's experiences was that Based on his own experiences, he sort of professed to see the truth. He's taken on this kind of me- messianic role where he's going to offer everybody else this red pill about why it's a Matrix Al- reference, ladies and gentlemen. It's an Alice in Wonderland reference, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Is isn't it? it? How, see how far you can go down this little well. Um, but nevertheless.
0: Prize, you didn't say rabbit hole if you're going to say Alice in Wonderland. But anyway, go on. Yes, uh, yes, yes. So he does seem so, as you say, as, as a. I'm here to give you the straight dope. You guys have been fooled by the smokescreen of uh, Western media, and I've got the real truth, and you're going to get it from me.
1: That's it, and and that's what the book professes, and uh, to give us the the inside on 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 North Korea. Mm. And I think there is room for that position, and I want to hear those positions, and I want to hear from uh, people with experience in North Korea. I want to hear from North Koreans. I I want to go all across the spectrum with these views, but. It was whether or not the book is being written with an agenda. Now, for each book, mm. and I, I've, you didn't ask me about it, but I've got this list of things that I try to address with each book. And with this book, one I'd look at the unique point and a question, a fundamental question that it asked me as a reader. Now, the unique point we've already covered, mm. and that's the, the gentleman's time spent in North Korea, which I want to hear those stories, actually. Yeah. The question that it made me ask myself—the fundamental question of Felix Ab's book—was: How much would I be willing to bend the truth to serve my own ends, or how much am I really, you know, telling the truth or lying to myself? And I'm not suggesting that uh, this gentleman is doing it deliberately, but it often made me—it made me question my own, my own relationship with the truth. Because well, I, I was reading some of this, if I may. And there, there is this line in there, economic sanctions against North Korea began on June 28th, 1950, with a total embargo on exports. And that was considered, you know, a, a, a terrible thing that the West did. Mm-hmm. Now, economic sanctions begin against North Korea, June 28th, 1950. All of that takes place with no other context given, Mm. Jacko. And now, how would you understand that with even just a passing knowledge of Korean relations? Well, it's it's right after
0: North Korea invaded South Korea with the backing of the Soviets and the Chinese. Absolutely.
1: That context isn't given. Now, I know real serious academics and we can get into was that the start of the war and there were lots of skirmishes before that and they're going, but all of that context is omitted just to serve this idea that it was the West's fault for putting uh, embargoes and sanctions on North Korea. And that was was one example and that's a pretty clear example, I think, of context being uh, omitted to serve a point. So it's not necessarily... There's, if you want to get into it, there's misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation as forms of fake news. Mm-hmm. right? And this is, this is just omitting things. But when I saw that, I was like, okay, so that's how this book is going to proceed.
0: But what, what underlying ideology or uh, philosophy or even agenda would you say is that, that, that drives Felix in his writing in this book?
1: I don't know. There's, there's lots. And I'm I'm a little bit careful about throwing so much shade on him because I I I, I he probably means well. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I've never met him, and he does seem to have a passion, and he does seem to want to contribute, and he he seems to I think wish well for the North Korean people, mm-hmm. and, yeah, and I clear. and I applaud that. And mm-hmm. it, it's not sort of saying we should bomb a country or we should inflict pain. He's actually coming from the opposite position, and I do applaud that. And I want to make it clear why he's in the position he's. I'm not sure. There is, let me touch on this other part, there is this idea, I said Messianic earlier, but there's lots of pictures in the book of him sort of standing smiling with smaller North Korean women around him. And I I think his time there, you will have observed this in South Korea alone, that you can come to a country and it's very easy to feel like a comedian and people laugh and Mm. talk about you. You can become the center of attention very easily in a foreign country without any real reason for it. And so I think perhaps those have, those experiences have maybe, you know, given I, – I would not like to talk about where he is ideologically, but I found the book lacking in terms of rigor. And it, it's if somebody reads that, they're not getting uh, a good picture of North Korea, I don't think. From but the book, accurate.
0: do you get any sense that he has uh, spent time learning the Korean language? Does he uh, show – Uh, directly or indirectly through the book, a facility or an understanding of of what Koreans say and write, um, and
1: not just the language, but also the culture? I'm not sure about the culture. I didn't get a sense of the language. I'm not sure. And you, as well as I know, how difficult the language is to to master. But I, I so wholeheartedly agree that you need the language to even get close to it. I mean, with B.R. Myers' three-track framework, mm. there's there's different messages pushed to different people. Let me also make this point that I, I, I believe Mr. Abbott was, uh, in so much as he's trying to promote or counter Western narratives about North Korea, which again, I think is important. We shouldn't just go from Fox News reports and axis of evil comments. We should try to understand the reality much better. But there was also this sense running through that book that he was making particular attacks against other scholars. Um, Dr. Remco Bruker mm-hmm. was one. He, he spent a lot of time sort of pointing his arrow at that man and other people. Uh, Barbara Demick mm-hmm. is another one. And these are these are respected scholars, respected writers, who, yep. wh- whether you agree with their take or not, they're, they're putting in the hard work. And so I think much of his work was about, you know, promoting the innocence of North Korea. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, conversely, portraying this demonic West and also attacking personal attacks on people. And maybe, does he feel excluded from a society? I, I'm uh, not sure. There
0: that, 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 that could be that in there. I'm, I'm thinking of coming back to the language question there. I remember back in the uh, early to mid-2000s that North Korea, somebody, if, if I'm wrong, write into the podcast, send me an email at podcast at nknews.org. But the way I remember it is that North Korea specifically didn't want to receive international aid workers who spoke Korean. They had a specific injunction against that. And I think that the North Korean state's interests are served by having people who don't know Korean be there and pretend, to, not pretend, but claim to say, I know North Korea, I've lived there, I've worked there. But North Korea, as I said, specifically, they don't want people who speak Korean. So they're coming back to be our Myers three tracks, that if you're a non-Korean reader or speaker, you only see the English-speaking track. You do not see anything internal. You do not have any hints behind that curtain as in The uh, the Wizard of
1: Oz. Yeah,
0: uh, Anyway, so uh, did the author
1: respond to your uh, review either privately or publicly? He did. And it's very interesting that we've started out with this, this negative one. But this was where I did question Should I be getting into this field? Because it was the first review that I'd written, Mm. and uh, I tried to do it honestly. And I I tried to give the gentleman, you know, a a fair rub of the green, and the review reflected that as well. But it wouldn't be a book that I would recommend that anyone read or pay money for. I did notice after the review came out, I wasn't reached out to public, uh, you know, he didn't reach out to me. Uh, personally, mm-hmm. but he did attack me across all social media platforms, mm-hmm. uh, a, a dread, saying that my qualifications were probably uh, fabricated or things like this. I mm-hmm. was I was presented as a figure of ridicule. Oh dear! And uh, he's good
0: at that. I have to say, he's quite good at uh, uh, at casting shade in a ridiculous light. I've seen him do that for a number of years.
1: So, and, and this was something I don't tend to do much social media, so I wasn't aware. Uh, of this, I do do social media, but um, I wasn't aware of his reputation and I soon quickly became aware of it after the review came out. And mm. maybe a heads up from one of you might have been nice, but it might have tempered my review. And so perhaps I'm glad that it mm. didn't go that way. Yeah,
0: vituperative and bellicose, I think, are two good adjectives to use in that regard. <laughs> Uh, now, let's talk briefly about the books that didn't rank in your top three. We've got four of them. So I know that you can talk for hours about anything, but I'm going to ask you to limit yourself to one minute on each book. I'm just going to give you a title and the author. Yeah. And and the first thing you just say, the first thing that comes to your mind, yeah. either what you liked or disliked or what you learned from that book. Okay. First one, The Lazarus Heist by Jeff White, whom I interviewed on the podcast. The, the podcast was better than the book.
1: <laughs> but the book was good, but I enjoyed listening to it. I don't know why. Uh, I, I enjoyed the But... Bu- if I did the book first, I might have enjoyed the book more. You know, it's like the first cut is the deepest. So, uh, Jeff White, I do apologize, but uh, the first cut is the deepest.
0: The Pache, uh, Cat Stevens, or Use of Islam. Uh, yes. Second book, State, Society, and Markets in North Korea by Andrew Yor, hopefully to come on the
1: podcast next year. Uh, very kind gentleman. My impression of the book, small and short. Right. 60 pages, you said, right? Yes. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting a tome or something when mm. it dropped through my letterbox. So, First impression, small and short. I got through it. I, well-researched. Very good scholar. He didn't promote in me this amazing desire to go out and, and write or produce or, or question anything. Who do you think he was writing for? Academia. Okay.
0: So it's a small and short book for academics because that is
1: rare. It's I I perceived it as being like an extended journal article. And mm. I don't say that disrespectfully, no, no. but it felt very much like an academic work. And I think it's important to read what the academics are writing. And I get Andrew Yeo is an academic, right? Footnoted? Um, I don't have it here on the desk in okay. front of me, but I believe so.
0: All right. Next one, Dancing on Bones, History and Power in China, Russia, and North Korea by former journalist Katie Stallard, who I also had in the podcast. <laughs> um,
1: enjoyed it. I, I felt like we're you know the three monsters and, and and putting them all together i wanted more of the differences you know putting these gentlemen together as monsters. i enjoyed it it's well written mm. and i i after i read it i felt angry you know I, I what's going on but i i wanted more well let's let's pull them apart let's look at the culture let's look at the context a little bit more enjoyable got through it wanted a bit more of the culture and and less of the anger
0: the North Korean Conundrum, uh, the new book of essays from around a dozen authors, edited by Robert King, former podcast guest, yeah. and uh, Georg Shin, who hasn't been on the podcast.
1: Uh, it, it's not a book. It's a series of essays. And so each one takes a different approach. And, uh, but did they choose well in editing it? Oh, you you can't argue with the quality of the scholarship and things like that. I mean, Georg Shin, if many people might suggest that he's sort of taken a turn to the right recently in mm. his politics. And that's a whole other conversation going on. But nobody can really take on bridge, I, I think, with his scholarship. And the book reflects that. It was just a series of essays for me about North Korea. And it, it wasn't so much a book. It felt like reading a journal. You know, uh-huh. it felt a little bit like work. Mm. If you're doing research on North Korea, highly recommend it. it yeah. if, if you're if you're just reading, perhaps not that one.
0: Okay, now let's get into the top three. Yes. Uh, the Rebel in the Kingdom by Bradley Hope. Let's start with the one whose author I've interviewed most recently. Uh, the podcast came out this week. So... You've heard that episode. What can you tell us that we didn't cover in the uh, in the interviews? I like
1: uh, Every book is just a plug for people that have been on or haven't been on your podcast. <laughs> yes. I, I, I noticed the way you see the world now, Jacko. Now, we, we're we here to talk about the three books from this year that I recommend. Okay. And so I just want to make this clear that if you're going to buy a book about North Korea, you would buy any of these and be happy. You could mm. buy them about other people. They're incredibly good. Now, the three books I've chosen before I get into the Rebel and the Kingdom, I've chosen one, and I don't think I did this consciously, but I've chosen one from a South Korean, a North Korean, and an international view, Mm. and and so I think that is important. Now, Bradley hopes, yeah, identity does matter in these days, and if it was just books by three white guys, you know, there would be conversations raised. So I don't think I did this consciously, but nevertheless, this is the first one. It comes from the international perspective. Now, before I say something. Reviews of, uh, principles of reviewing these books. Here's four. Did I enjoy reading it? Did I learn anything? What is the perspective of North Korea that it presents? And what is the fundamental question this book asks me? Now, for The Rebel and the Kingdom, did I enjoy reading it? Wow. Mm. This is an incredibly well-written book. Yeah. It, it, it's, like, it's like Dickens' serialized work. You know, you get to the end of a chapter and it's left on a cliffhanger Mm. and you need to start the next chapter you know you're not turning it off you're not picking up your phone you're going when people walk into restaurants uh, or cafes and they're in dubai one day and then the next day they're in libya and they're all over the world their haircuts are described what they're wearing what they drink Mm. you ask mr hope about is this going to be serialized or turned into something it's already like that it comes alive it really grows off the page at you and I I read through this book in just a day or so. It was amazing. What question did it ask you? You know, if we believe certain narratives about North Korea, and Mm. I believe these narratives are, for example, Adrian Hong, Mm -hmm. the, the, the star of this book, certainly for the first part, if we take a certain narrative about North Korea that it imprisons and starves its people and is a mass abuser of human rights, if that narrative is held to be true and you really believe in that narrative, what moral responsibility mm. do you have to do to do something about it? And is it enough to engage in slacktivism and just sit online and, and post things? Shouldn't you go out there and try to do something? Now, Adrian Hong obviously believed in this deeply and tried to do something mm-hmm. about it. And right. Several things, right? Because first he started Link, which no longer, we should
0: point out, no longer has anything to do with him. Mm. Uh, the organization's undergone a complete overhaul. But he did start it back in 2004. And then he started this organization, Free on Well, that's the the, the current
1: name, but you've
0: done a a couple of projects as well as stuff in between.
1: And also running into a a North Korean embassy in Madrid with replica weapons and knives. and I mean, this is incredible behavior. Mm -hmm. And so you're asking yourself, are these delusions of grandeur from a man that's gone off the deep end, or is this the correct way that we should be acting because it's very easy to sit down and sort of stroke your beard and go, hmm, North Korea is a difficult thing. But if you want to do something in this world, if you, want to, if you really believe something, it's clear that Adrian Hong seemed to believe something. Now, I'm asking myself, and I think you asked Bradley Hope about this mm. as well. Was he right or did he have these delusions of grandeur? Yep. Had he gone off the deep end and believed his own hype and start breaking international law yep. against the people whom he was accusing of doing so? And I, at the end of the book, didn't have an answer to that. I'm not sure Bradley Hope mm. had an answer in the book that he uh, mentioned because the book slowly starts w- turning away from Bradley Hope to Christopher Arne. Yes. And it focuses on that. And it almost felt towards the end like it was a character. What would you call it? A character, character reference? A character reference for a judge to read this and go, hey, this guy, he goes and visits mm. his grandmother. He helps old ladies across the street. Mm. Please don't send him to prison again. It felt a bit like that towards the end. Now, some people
0: uh, commented on social media after my podcast that they don't like anything that gives Adrian Hong a platform. Uh, even though he himself didn't appear on the podcast, you know, it mm. was kind of via via. But anyway, does Hope handle handle this issue sensitively and delicately, or does he allow the book to really become too much of a platform for the protagonists from Free Chaucer, namely Adrian Hong and Christopher Unn?
1: It's, you know, Bradley Hope is a well-respected journalist. I think he does the work well. Uh, I think he's won awards for his work, his books Succeed. But he is intent on telling a story, mm-hmm. and he does have a personal relationship with these people, which is made clear in the book, and you've made clear in the podcast as well. You know, what's fascinated me about doing this work, Jacko, is that so many people that I've seen on social media, I now see them differently. Like I know, oh, oh okay, so Sumi Terry was involved in that, and, and and the gentleman whose name escapes me that's writing the book The Sister. Uh, oh, Yun uh Lee, um, yes, Lee, uh, Sumi so, right. uh, Lee of... of uh... One of the places. One of the universities. Yes, uh, no disrespect, sir. No. But all of these names start meaning something different to me when I see them cropping up in these stories. And i like, wow, this is real life. I, I think Bradley Hope tells a really interesting story. I would love to see mm-hmm. the non-story version of this story, if that makes sense to you. Because this is told in such a way yeah. as to allow the narrative to, to gradually unfold and tell it this way. And there is an eye on the dramatic. Mm. The story does well. And I recommend that you read this book if you haven't, listeners. It's a really good book. And I learned something about North Korea and diplomacy and the insides of embassies. Mm. I would also like to see the non-story story.
0: Yeah, well, for that, I, I think you've probably already read Suki Kim's piece for The New Yorker released about three years ago. I read that in, in preparation for uh, interviewing uh, Bradley Hope. And that's a uh, a much more condensed version of it. So I think that's a, probably a, the best thing you're going to, closest thing you're going to get to a non-story story version of it. At the end of your review, you wrote that with the Bradley Hope book coming so shortly after Jeff White's, uh, you're wondering about other sort of books written in the form of adventure stories about North Korea. And I think that uh, I would say I've read the Dutch original of uh, North Korea Never Says Sorry by Dutch journalist Jeroen Visser. When that comes out in English, I think it will fit well along the same bookshelf alongside these two.
1: I, I, absolutely. And I'm not sure, remember Crash Landing on You, sorry mm. and Bushi Jack, and it sort of commodified North Korea and it, it showed it's able to work in this capitalist system as a product mm-hmm. that people are going to want to buy. I think the Lazarus Heist demonstrates that. I think the Rebel and the Kingdom demonstrates that, the book you're talking about. The one that I would like, and just to make that point a little bit more clearer, is that these books, if they are successful, we're going to see more and more books like this where North Korea becomes this adventure story told mm-hmm. in this dramatic way with a very firm grounding in reality, but also knowing that it can be sold because it's, it's got that bit of mystery about it. It's a bit enigmatic. It's a bit scary. And there's not that much scary left in the world. You know, we've uncovered that. The one that I would like to see, um, and I'm not sure if you've covered this on the podcast, you might've done, but in South Korea, there was a scholar of, I'll get some details wrong, Arabic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Muhammad Gansu. Which was a North Korean spy. Mm -hmm. And everybody took it. Has there been a movie about that, a documentary? Uh, No, there
0: hasn't been a movie about him, uh, as far as I'm aware. I have reached out to uh, his Silk Road think tank or whatever it is that he's doing these days. He's something to do with the Silk Road and, you know, scholar of Islamic civilizations. He has no interest in speaking out publicly about uh, his time as a North
1: Korean spy. There might be some listeners that are not aware of this story. No, it, I it's became of aware story. of it from Theodore Jun Yu's new book, The Koreas, which covers both ah. North and South, which is an amazing book. But yeah. to pass in, in, in the country as a scholar from, but be a North Korean spy and be well-respected in your academic field and cited and published.
0: Wasn't much good as a spy, though. As I understand (laughs) the story, I (laughs) think all he was guilty of was faxing news stories to some North Korean contact in a third country. I don't think it was, you know, he wasn't, for example, uh, smuggling out the blueprints of uh, South Korean nuclear power stations in Kyongsang Namdo. I mean, he didn't have any access to really the goods or or photos taken inside Yongsan Army Base. It wasn't anything. It was faxing news stories. It was pretty... Pretty small fight, which is why, I think, uh, he's out of jail now and allowed to uh, to practice as an academic again. <laughs> but it is a heck of a story. I do want to it do is. a podcast about that one day. Maybe Please I'll do. Maybe I'll get uh, Theodore Jun or, or write another email again to Mohammed Gansu and see if he'll come on. Theodore uh, move... Jun,
1: you has left academia and he probably won't be very interested, but do no. a story on it. Sorry.
0: Uh, let's move on to The Hard Road Out by Hyun Park. This is a defection story. How does it differ from others?
1: What makes this one unique? There's a focus on identity, sisterhood, and women's issues, and that's the lens through which much of the story is seen and narrated. Now, that makes it very in line with the modern zeitgeist, you know, that, that focus, but it also makes it very truthful because this is Park Ji Hyun telling her story. Now, The Hard Road Out, it talks of periods, uh, menstrual cycles, divorce, childbirth, romance. It touches on issues of homosexuality marijuana. This human experience, this, this story of a North Korean woman leaving North Korea and now that it, this is better than a movie, now she's a member of the Conservative Party in uh, the United Kingdom, mm. it, it, it's, that's real life. But it's told, Jaco, this one is told through a biological lens. This one is told through a physical lens. It's about how the, the physical toil on your body what it takes to to starve to exist in that cold to to leave to go through china to be trapped in terrible cramped conditions and i really felt this book physically do you know what i mean it, yeah. it really brought it home to me and not just physically through my body but through a woman's body. And that's testament to, to the writing, mm. to the honesty, uh, and to the courage here, I think. When
0: did she come out of North Korea? I mean, was is this a, a long time ago or is it in, in recent
1: years? It, it, it's recent. Now, mm. I'll say one number and I, I'm... I'm Dreadfully apologetic to Park Ji-hyun for not having the data right in front of me uh, at the moment, but I—we're uh, not—I don't believe we're talking 20 years okay. ago. So, it's-
0: how many accounts of escaping North Korea have you read? Because there's a lot of them out there these days. You could fill a bookshelf with, with you know, starting from the aquariums of Pyongyang and the eyes of the tailor's animals and and going on forward to Park Chi hyuns book.
1: Yeah, I, I, I've read a few, and, and it was just to, to segue the aquariums of Pyongyang, that's what inspired Adrian Hong to, to mm. do all of his actions. And so these defected testimonies, yep. I do sometimes approach them with Um, You know, we've seen um, Yomi Park. We've seen how these stories and and what happens to people and how they're presented. I do sometimes approach them with a little bit of trepidation and also amazing respect. And uh, I'm sometimes unsure because as soon as people come out, there's political interest in their stories and there's also financial interest. And I think there would be a great thing to study. What happens to defectors in terms of political ideology Mm -hmm. or career afterwards? I'm sure people are doing this work. It wasn't until I spoke personally to Iso Hyun,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, who's now doing a master's, and she left North Korea, that I realized to talk about these people as talbukta or defectors or freedom seekers is incorrect because they're people Mm -hmm. and they're all different. And I've spoken online to Park Ji Hyun a few times and just feeling her as a person and reading this book to see these people as as people, I think, is so important, Jacko.
0: But you're right, though, that there is uh, a lot of politicization on both sides. Yeah. That uh, Just as uh, uh, you mentioned, uh, Adrian Hong was inspired by the aquariums of Pyongyang, and George W. Bush also talked about having uh, ke- uh, keeping that book on his bedside table and reading it, and so he used it in a different way around the time of the axis of evil speech. And then we have other people on the other political sides simply saying that uh, nothing that any defector says is believable, and we have to treat all defector testimony not just with a grain of salt, but basically lay it aside and bracket it and, and say, if it can't be proven through independent testimony or, or photographic evidence, we can't believe it to be true. So uh, how do you assess Park Chi- Hyun's book? How is it a believable, reliable story?
1: When I read it, I believed it. I've spoken to people afterwards whose names I won't mention, but that are heavily involved in North Korea and research and things like that. And they've raised their eyebrows and said, no, David, there's there's some things going on here that are not quite. And so I would ask you and listeners to kind of, you know, make your own minds up on that. Mm. When I read this book, I enjoyed reading it. I I didn't know Park Ji-hyun at the time. Uh, I enjoyed reading it. I believe that I learned some things from North Korea. I believe it it made me ask myself certain fundamental questions. And the way it presented North Korea, I didn't think it was, you know, I thought it was I thought it was interesting, and I thought it was close to a general understanding that many people might agree with.
0: Now, well, how do we avoid sensationalising um, books like this, and and effectively encouraging authors to adopt parts of other people's narratives and tell them as if they were their own, to uh, to basically to sort of you know puff up or exaggerate their stories?
1: Uh, change the capitalist system. <laughs> ah, well, okay. but no, but let's let me, overnight. no, but you you. I, I say that somewhat facetiously, but you do understand the financial imperatives yeah, that go yeah. along. So I, I was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I was also being a little bit serious about that. Obviously not changing the system, but we need to change the way sometimes work is presented. The second thing, what we do, Jacko, is we we talk to people face-to-face. Mm. It's very easy. I'm sure that my opinions of Felix Abbott, or however his surname is pronounced, do forgive me, might change if I sat down with him face-to-face over a coffee or something and uh, in long-form conversation. Over time, that's how we get to know people better. And that's what we're doing today. Mm. I want to make sure that I get this across before you jump to the next book. The question that I asked myself while reading uh, Park Ji Hun's The, The Hard Road Out would I have the courage and intestinal fortitude to do even half of what is described in this book? If I were placed in a totalitarian state, would I be brave enough to leave? If I were faced with Selling my body, you know, going through all of these things just to get out to keep some of my family safe while also abandoning others. Would I be able to do that? And I found myself sitting, staring at the walls, thinking, "I'm not sure if I would be able to." And I, you know, and that's what makes this so powerfully because it's it's not as much as it's telling you something about North Korea sometimes, Jacko. It's telling you something about yourself when you read these books, and you read them with empathy and imagination in the positive sense. Do you see what I mean by that? Yeah,
0: yeah. No, of course. I think that's uh, that's uh, the case, I think, with all novels too, isn't it? I mean, uh, that's the effect that any personal narrative that fiction writing as well as nonfiction autobiographical writing can have on us, that we're supposed to be able to place ourselves in the shoes of the
1: protagonist. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Now, as you mentioned, the author now lives in the UK, Park ji Hon, and last year she campaigned and ran for election for the Conservative Party. Uh, do you know why she chose to do this and why she chose the Conservative Party?
1: I would imagine. No, no I don't know. So I'm just going to imagine, and if I do get it wrong, uh, Miss Park, please do correct me. I would imagine that the Conservative Party accepted her. Mm -hmm. Uh, because it might suit the – it's weird, isn't it? In South Korea, like Jasmine Lee became the first non-ethnic Korean member of of the National Assembly for the Conservative Party. It's just the way it seems to be. What's your take on this? Do you find that most – Most people, not most, but is there a percentage of North people that leave North Korea end up taking right-wing political positions in the West? No,
0: I imagine almost all of them. I mean, look at Taeong ho He's from the Conservative Party here in South Korea. Great example. And the other gentleman who, um, Jin, Ji, Ji, I think, Uh, Ji Song-ho, maybe, he's also in the National Assembly for the, the People's Power Party. So, I I don't think that there are many uh, prominent uh, public defectors who come out and then uh, join up with a left wing uh, activist organisation
1: and explain why that is. Uh, speculate if you. Well, the the, 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 the glib
0: answer is that uh, that left wing organisations tend to not be critical of North Korea. So, if you've come out of North Korea, the moving by the voting with your feet and leaving with uh, North Korea with your feet, saying the same thing twice, leaving North Korea itself is a criticism of North Korea. Yes. And to then join up with an organization that rather than criticize North Korea, would, would focus instead of criticizing South Korea, the United States, the global hegemony, et cetera, et cetera. Uh,
1: those two things don't, go
0: to, don't fit
1: easily together. It's a really interesting question, isn't it? Mm. How politics all plays into this and if, if North Korean people – because there's this idea that in, in the modern world, even to be remotely conservative, is this oh, unforgivable, unacceptable thing that we're seeing that, you know, we, which it shouldn't be. It's just a, a, a genuine position but that most North Korean people would take that position. It, There's a now defunct
0: uh, South Korean leftist magazine called Mal. As I said, it's defunct, doesn't exist anymore. But in 2004, they had a cover story, a really long article about why it is that uh, North Korean human rights are the exclusive domain of right-wing organizations and why it is that the left has a, a real struggle talking about uh, human rights in North Korea. And this was during the year of the, the first run of the Sunshine Policy. It was when uh, Norma Hyun was pr- uh, president of South Korea. I read the article a number of times, and I didn't come away with a strong perception that they found any answers. They're asking the right questions, but they didn't come up with a solid answer. And still, to this day, here we are almost 20 years later. And still, North Korean human rights is almost exclusively politically of the right.
1: Yeah, and I, I just like to say, right or left. I mean, I I applaud Miss Park for writing this book. And uh, sometimes politics gets in the way, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Like politics mm-hmm. is no, it is so important and so so very not important at all at the end of the day. You mm-hmm. know, I, I don't really care too much, Jacko, about your politics. I, I enjoy talking to you and and doing these things with you. And so must it be with these people that leave North Korea. If you read Miss park's book the hard road out it will make you question your own courage and ability and let me just try to say this you finish the book and and you feel like you're you're ready to take on the world and at the same time always ready to give up because Mm. you're a loser in comparison you feel emboldened and yes if somebody can experience that then i can get through this assignment i have to do i can get through this project that I have to do, no problem, because if they can do that, I can do this. And you feel emboldened and like a Superman, but at the same time, you feel like, oh, wow, in comparison, I'm but a uh, a meek weakling.
0: But just as I don't think that anyone can ever learn from another person's mistakes vicariously, I mean, how many children have been told by their parents, don't do that, it'll lead to, you know, look what happened to me, and they still go and do it anyway. No one learns from anyone else's mistakes. I don't know to what extent I can take somebody else's victories or hardships and really internalize it to myself. It's one of those things, you've, everyone's got to make their own mistakes and go through their own hardships to test their own mettle. That's just what I think anyway. Yeah. But we shouldn't dwell on that too long. Let's go on to the last book here, The Prisoner, by a uh, South Korean author and perennial uh, Nobel Prize laureate. Um
1: Contender? Yes, hopeful.
0: Hwang Sog-yong. Uh, yes. What did you know about this book or its author before reading it?
1: I'm going to be brutally honest here and say very little. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I've i been to a few Korean literature club meetings and I try to learn as much about Korea as I can. And it's so very difficult to stay up. But I must admit, I wasn't well versed in Hwang sok yong And uh, that's to my detriment because this is a, a gentleman who, if you say his name at a, yep. a, a dinner table, Korean people know who you're talking they about. Know, absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. He's a very interesting character and has been. Very prominent for decades, right? Yeah. Uh, just having li- – I, I, you described him in your uh, book review as being kind of like a Forrest Gump character, sort of popping up everywhere that he's uh – you know, meeting all these. Oh, did I, maybe I maybe that's my brain interpolating. <laughs> I do okay.
1: I called him a Forrest Gump character, uh, but I, he. But does... the, he, he's uh, you know
0: he he pops up everywhere, a bit like Woody Allen's Selig character. That he 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 meets all these people. He also happens to be in the Vietnam War. He knows all the the big names. He meets Kim Il song, You know, he's he reminds me of that um that short story that's actually written in the form of an index by um oh gosh. It, uh, Borges I believe the uh, the South American author um, where the the there is no story it's just an index and you see you know for example I don't know uh, Winston Churchill uh, Mi Hwang Sog Yong and you know yeah. Kim Il Sung so, uh, Yeah you could almost write Hwang Sog life story in the form of an index of people who he's met and events that he's been uh, involved in
1: I uh, love uh, I love Jorge Luis Borges the Argentinian short story writer an amazing figure
0: I've only read The Guest, uh, the English translation of Hwang Sogyeong's novel about the Shinchon Massacre. So tell us about The Prisoner and why you liked it. The,
1: the reason why I like The Prisoner, which has been translated into English uh, fantastically by Anton Hur and uh, the... Sora Kim Russell. Sora... Hi, Sora, if you're listening, haven't seen her for years. Sora Kim Russell, yes, yeah, sorry, the, the names don't always come off my tongue as quickly, is... The amazing way that this book is written. And so imagine the pressure mm-hmm. of having to translate Hong Sok Young, a guy that's, you know, w- well known as a writer himself, will have his own style. But then to translate that, yeah. that must be such a difficult job. And when I was reading this book, I could feel the prison walls. I could smell Berlin. I could taste the pantan on the tables in North Korea, and you know, even perhaps get a a whiff of Kim Il Sung's cologne. Everything jumped mm. up off the page during this book. So, you, you, so, we
0: should point out that this is not a novel. This is him telling his life story, right? This is is it a memoir? Or is it an autobiography?
1: It's it, it's described as a memoir. Okay, um, and that's what it is. But he's telling his story and he's telling it in such a way that you feel it uh, and you, it's tangible the life story and because he's a writer and so again i've got to enjoy reading these things yep. and i i think if you're picking up a book there's got to be some enjoyment in there mm-hmm. you're not reading an encyclopedia you're not doing academic research but you've got to turn the page and this by the way like in contrast to andrew yo's 60 pages this is a tome mm-hmm. this would make a thump if i put it down on Boy. the desk it's a It's, a hard cover. it's 450 pages. That is thick, yeah. It, it is thick, so it, it took me a week or so to get through, but the first thing to say about this is amazingly translated into English, and it makes it a pleasure to read.
0: Now, Hwang uh, served time in jail in South Korea for visiting North Korea um, without permission of the South Korean government. His hometown was was Pyongyang, that's where he grew up. He's a, a leftist, but he's all, he's known here in South Korea as a leftist writer and an activist. Yeah. The, uh, the The Kwangju Diaries of what happened in Kwangju was published initially under his name because it was thought that only he could get away with publishing it because he was already a known figure, although he didn't write it himself. Is he now, or was he ever, a true believer in North Korea-style communism?
1: I can't speak for him, but I would say no. He he describes himself in the book as a refugee in South Korea, because. You know, he's from North Korea. That's his home. And so he describes himself in this modern country, in here, in the Republic of Korea, south of the 38. He describes himself, not only himself, but everybody here as a refugee, as being outside of their actual home. He doesn't. And by the way, when in, in terms of his, well, does that make him a commie? He's, he's a leftist. He just wants everything to be, you know, socialist. He he holds, he pulls no punches with his descriptions of Kim Il-sung mm. and, and what he did there. And I had to make sure, actually, when we were writing this, that that got into the final edit yeah. of the review. Because he he, you know, he says that Kim Il-sung... Has brought his many errors of judgment, have brought misery to the North Korean people, mm-hmm. and especially his role in dividing Korea. Uh, Hwang sok yong says mm. that American policy of containment shares some of the blame, but then Hwang Sok-young says in his review: yeah. it was indisputably Kim Il-sung who imposed isolation on North Korea and the basis for a hereditary rule that is extended to his grandson, and that is why history will continue to remember him mm. as an internationally notorious dictator. Mm. That tells you something. It's right there in his own writing. He's not. He's meeting with Kim Il-sung. He's yeah. going to his hometown. He's spending time there, but it's not because he's sympathetic or blind. So
0: would you say that he's, he comes across as even-handed in his
1: treatment of North and South Korea? I would say that he's almost... Beyond politics, Mm. this is not political. So we spent the last thing talking about right and left and things like this. You know, Huang is an artist. And when he's on the plane to Pyongyang, he looks out the window and he says, our land, there's the soil. That's where my feet need to be. This is not about right or left. This mm. is not about a political spectrum. This is about an artist yearning for his home. And you've seen some of that that Korean artwork, Jacko, where it's, it's the people pulling cows across the field. It's, it's the song of Arirang. It's yep. the physical nature here. It's the seasons that imbue character in the Pansori songs. Mm. That's what Hwang is pointing to. It's not about right or left. He's saying, I want to go home. I want to go to my family's house. I want to go where I grew up. And why can't I go there? Because the politicians, mm-hmm. the right and left who are fighting, yeah. uh, are preventing me. Now, I'm, I'm going to jump ahead now to the question that it made me ask as I was reading this. You mentioned President Nam yeah. Hyun earlier, yeah. Kim Dijun, President Kim Dijun, President Moon Jae-in. If they go to Pyongyang, mm-hmm. they are considered. Worthy of Nobel Peace Prizes. They're put on the cover of Time magazine right. and they're heralded for their courageous action. Huang Sok young did exactly the same thing mm-hmm. and he was put in prison. So what's the difference between these two gentlemen? Because the act is the same. It's only their, uh, what would you call it, their status that makes them. And I know, yes, there are laws and everything involved. But as I was reading this, I was like, here is a man that wants to go home and he's, he's considered uh, a criminal for that.
0: I was remi- when I read that part in your um, uh, in your review. I was reminded of uh, another incident. The, the first visit by uh, Hwang Seok Young to Pyongyang after the war uh, was in March 1989, and that's the one that he, he went to jail for. Uh, and later in July of that same year, No President No sent a uh, special emissary Park Chol On, former podcast guest, to Pyongyang, who was happened to be in the May Day Stadium for the opening of the 13th World Youth and uh, Students Festival uh, when the young Hanguk University foreign studies student Ms. Im Soo gyong happened to be in the stadium at the exact same moment. Now, when she went back to South Korea, she, like Hwang Soo Young, uh, arrested, got five years prison. Um, I don't know if she served the full five years, but she did go to prison for that. And, and of course, Park Chol On had uh, 40 plus more meetings uh, with his North Korean counterpart. So, as you say, that yeah, if if you do it as a president or as an emissary, you're allowed, and and you're in fact fated. But if you are um, uh, at a low level, if you do it as, an, as a citizen, you'll go to jail for it. But but there's something else that we haven't mentioned there, and that is that North Korea uses those visits by Hwang Sogyeong and Im Sogyeong for its own political capital, right? It, it gains succor from their visits. So it's not just like, you know, um, it wasn't like Hwang Sogyeong went to Pyongyang, put his feet on his father's soil and then came back home again and nothing was ever said about it. North Korea used that in a way as well, and as it did with Im Seong, fating her as the uh, the flower of unification. So there's a political cost and a political gain to all of these actions, both at the presidential level and at the citizen level, isn't there?
1: There absolutely is, and I thank you for saying that because I'm sure there might have been one or two people tearing their hair out when I was making that comment about some people going, David. You, they'd be saying, David, you don't understand the realities of the situation, and this is North Korea, and this is what they do. And yes, I I, I completely agree with you. There are political gains. There are political losses. And to me, there might be much that I don't know. I'm absolutely sure there is much that I don't know about the realities of visiting North Korea in that instance and, and what it means to be on the left or the right of South Korean politics and how that all plays out in Korean people's minds. Reading this book and enjoying reading this book, it made me want this man to be able to go to his home mm. and um, put politics aside and I felt that because of the way the book was written mm. and it, it really told a story and it and it asked me questions about why is that and, and you've I, I think you thought about that question when I raised it and now you've come up and you've you've extended that question and now we've got a discussion going about it so I think what's important with all of these books The Rebel and the Kingdom The Hard Way Out and The Prisoner, they don't offer a definitive answer to North Korea. They don't offer the definitive defector story Mm. or the activist in the left or the international espionage. And it's it's quite good that they cover a very wide range of North Korea. They don't offer the definitive view in any of their respective fields, but they do add to the conversation in a meaningful way that we should be aware of, be cognizant of, and try to take that into our further discussions and conversations mm-hmm. and hope that we get various other perspectives to add to it. That's why I think these books have value, not because they tell us the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, Yeah, but because they're an important part of the conversation. Uh, just
0: before we get into the last section here, uh, I'm um, reminded of a book that came out about six years ago in Korean. By, it was a, another memoir by Kim Yong-hwan, former South Korean Uh, underground student uh, agitator at Seoul National University, a self-proclaimed member of the Jusapa group, you know, a follower of uh, Juche and Kim Il-sung, went to North Korea twice on a submarine secretly to meet with Kim Il-sung and says that after one of those meetings, he came away heavily disillusioned, believing that Kim Il-sung wasn't the leader that he thought he was, and also that Kim Il-sung knew nothing about Juche ideology. I wonder having now read The Prisoner, did Hwang come away with this idea that uh, for all his grandeur and, 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 uh, and his deeds that, that Kim Il-sung wasn't who um, the South Korean left might have thought he was back then in the 1980s?
1: I think Kim Il-sung is a, a, a person that has gone that, it fulfills many roles. I, I don't think there's one answer to what Kim Il-sung is. I mean, Kim Il-sung was a, to some people, was a charismatic revolutionary uh, next to Ho Chi Minh and mm-hmm. people like this, and Che Guevara, an armed guerrilla fighter that took up the the cause. And scholars like Franz Fanon would say he was revolutionary in changing the nature of Korean people. Other people would say he's a Soviet plant. He was he he knew nothing. He's a brutal brutal uh, dictator. Who in Katie Stollard's book dances on bones. Mm-hmm. I d- I don't think there is one Kim Il Sung. I think Huang sok Young in his book he describes him he, he you know you go to dinner with him such is the way this book is told that you feel like i said you feel mm-hmm. that you feel berlin and you feel like okay as i turn the page i'm now going to dinner with kim Sung. you feel like that a little yeah. bit and yeah. uh i think what you bring to the book right what your political take is how you understand north korea that's going to affect how you go to dinner with Kim Il-sung mm. as you turn that page. Do you see what I mean by that? Sure. Some people will be excited. Some people will be scared. Some people will not even turn the page or pick up the book mm. because they will bring with it existing ideas of Hwang sok kyo Yeah. Will you keep reviewing books for NK News next year? <laughs> um, I'm enjoying it. I, I'm at the stage in my life where everything I do, um, it feels like fun. I like reading. I like writing. And I like learning. Uh, I'm doing all of those things at the moment. And it's, uh, do you know what I mean? I, I started learning so much more once I finished my PhD. Mm-hmm. I, I, I meant to be a, a voice by reviewing these books, but I'm learning so much. I, I learn as I teach and um, I'm just trying to perhaps keep conversations going. Do you see what I mean by yeah. that, Jacko? To try to ask questions and and try to engage people rather than, offer definitive views and as long as i'm able to do that and i must say that the the team here have been wonderful in being patient with me because writing a book review is very different from writing a column mm. i write a weekly column and I, I haven't missed a column in two and a half three years you know every week but to write a book review is different yeah uh because uh, you, it could feel like an assignment at university, couldn't it? That's exactly what school kids have to do. Right. They have to write book reviews when the teacher's bored, like going review a book. But it doesn't feel like that to me anymore. So, yes, I will.
0: What book about North Korea are you waiting for that hasn't been written yet? The, the dream book for everyone is the one that you say will never exist, which is the one that gives you the definitive answer on everything North Korea. So, let's lay that aside. But what realistically um, possible book would you, uh, would you like to review?
1: Well, you know, I've got. I've got Park tung book on my bookshelf. Can we, can we get, you know, Kim to, I, w- I want to see more of these North Korean vlogs. Uh, that's, that's not answering your question, but that's what I want to see. I want to see more of these North Korean, um, there's the young girl that, that talks about Harry Potter and Munso Park. Mm, Im song uh, Thank you very much. Um, I'm British, so I'm allowed to do that accent. <laughs> uh, but I, I want to see more of North Korean content about North Korea. Mm. So here we had Park Ji-hyun's, Loved it. I want to read. Huang Sok Young is he's kind of from North Korea, right? So I want to read more North Korean content about North Korea. How do we get that? We, if it's in the form of YouTube and vlogs, and it's it's frustrating because companies now they ban those things, don't they? Yeah. And I that's a whole other conversation. I want to have that conversation, but. What I want to read, Jacko, is I want to read books about North Korea by North Koreans. I want to read books about North Korean music by North Koreans. I want to read books, you know, that's what I want to read. But wouldn't they be published and therefore mediated
0: through the North Korean state? Yeah. Okay. So, have you, I mean, have you read the English translation of
1: Reminiscences
0: with the Century by Kim Il-sung, volumes one to five?
1: I've read some of those things going through looking for stuff for my academic work, for speeches, and, and they're not that Are intra- they readable? Not really. Uh, you know, that's
0: I, the point. I, when I did a master's thesis, I had to read through some North Korean theoretical stuff. It was pretty heavy going, pretty purple prose and a lot of repetition.
1: I think we live in the I, the name uh, the the world of soft power. So I want to get away from this kind of 1960s 70s theoretical long speeches because they're designed to make people fall asleep. Mm. Uh, that's the purpose of them. Mm. We live in the world of soft power. North Korea knows this. North Korea is trying to use soft power to address the outside world and I I'm not saying we should all suddenly believe these things but I want to see how they understand soft power, how they present things, how how they try to get their message across and You do it on NK News, you will say, oh, they they blurred this advertisement on television and they blurred this person's photo, and now they can see Mm. Sonung-min in North Korea. It will go through state apparatus, absolutely, but I I still want to see it, just to to learn more and and to know what they're saying authentically. And then maybe somebody will write a book about how North Korea does that, and I will also read that book. What, while I'm here, what, what book do you want to read, Jacko? Or what do you want to watch? What do you want to see on North Korea? As a man, I'll speak a little bit so you can think, but as a man who knows so much and has spoken to so many people, and I know you keep a lot of your information you know, close to your chest and you're a very humble man, is there a book or a content from North Korea that would interest you?
0: Yeah, I want Kim Jong-un to come on this podcast.
1: <laughs> yes, me too. Yeah. Would, would you, and, would you, and
0: Donald Trump. In fact, a round table, Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump.
1: Would you trust your Korean to do it with uh, Chairman Kim Jong-un? No. If it was the only way that you could do it, would you do it
0: one-on-one? No, no, we'd bring an interpreter.
1: No, but if it, it was just you and Chairman Kim Jong-un one-on-one in Korea, that's the only way it would be done.
0: Oh, that's far too budam sir No, I wouldn't do that. I'd let, somebody more <laughs> quali- I'd let somebody more qualified do it than me. It's not, it's not about my ego. I'd, I'd find someone who would do a better job in Korean and get them
1: to do it. I, that, that, yes, sir.
0: That's a, a good place for us to end today. Thank you very much for joining me on the podcast, Dr. David Tizard. Our listeners can find your reviews online at nknews.org by going to the author page and uh, typing in your name. And they can find you on Twitter at HESP365. Thanks very much.
1: Thank you. I loved it, Jacko.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, if you already have an NK News account and if you're a think tank business or academic institution, take a look at NK Pro. Our NK Pro platform offers unparalleled services specifically catered to the needs of professionals who monitor developments on the Korean Peninsula. You can acquire an access and a free trial membership by writing an email to membership at nknews.org today. Our thanks, as always, go to Brian Betts and Arias Dare for facilitating this episode and to our podcast post-recording producer, Gabby Magnuson, who cuts out all the extraneous noises, awkward silences, bodily functions, etc.? Thank you very much. List again next time.